Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. If you've been joining with us the last, I guess, since Christmas, since December, we've been walking through uh, the book of Hebrews. Pastor Chris has been preaching on that, and he's going to continue next week. And we're going to take a, a little detour of that, but it still connects Because in the book of Hebrews, you're going to see, or we have seen, that Jesus is greater than angels. He's the imprint of God himself. He's the the reason we can have hope. We are to hold on to him through scripture and through prayer. He's the anchor of our soul. He allows us to draw near to God. We're going to see how he becomes the new covenant. Um, replaces the old covenant as the new covenant. We're going to see all of that and continue exploring how Jesus is all these things. But I wanted us to think through how does that become, the word covenant, and how can we draw near to God? Where it started from the very beginning in Genesis with the covenant he created with creation and with Noah. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 9. And we'll start in verse 8 in a minute. And while you're turning there, couple of things about my life and stories. We, uh, our family, we have a thing where we love rainbows. My boys from the time they were little and when it would rain or we'd be driving through a rainstorm, they would ask to go find a rainbow. Sometimes we would have to, after a big storm, we would go drive around looking for rainbows. And it was amazing to see when a rainbow would appear. Because, you know, rainbows don't always come after a storm. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, but it just becomes a fascinating concept where we're driving along and one of them will see a rainbow and they'll point it out. Hey, look, there's a rainbow. And of course, then they go, well, I can't see it. Well, it's right there. And they describe where they can find it. But it's, it's great. I've seen adults pull over on the side of the road to take a picture of a rainbow. Right, y'all. Some of y'all are those folks. Some of y'all will see a rainbow, and if you see a perfect arc, right, the perfect rainbow, then you're going to stop and take a picture. You got to post it to Facebook and Instagram. And if it's a double rainbow, that's double the blessings, right? That's even more because then you post it, and then you got all the comments going. Where did you find that? Where do you see that? That's beautiful. I and then they get in the car and they go searching for the double rainbow. Rainbows are fascinating, but really, scientifically, they're just a reflection of light. They're the prism of the spectrum of how we see color. That's all it is. There's really nothing special about it. You can make a rainbow by taking your water hose on a sunny day and you see a rainbow. It's sunlight going through the prism, creating the spectrum of color. But there's something more to it. Something more to the presence of a rainbow. I was talking to uh, a couple or or, or a lady this morning, and she was telling me how when she renewed her vows with her husband in Hawaii, a double rainbow appeared. I was talking to pilots who have, they've flown and they've gotten above the clouds and they look down and there's a rainbow and a rainbow is a complete circle. It's a phenomenon that just mesmerizes us and always seems to give us that smile on our face. So why is it? Well, it's because God put it there as a covenant to Noah. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. 
starting in verse 8. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature and was with you, the birds, the livestock, all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. So we hear the story. We've heard this term covenant come up many times in this passage. So what is a covenant? Well, a covenant simply means a binding agreement. The Hebrew word Beret means binding, to be bound together. It was used in that term when you were binding two parties together over some kind of terms. That's what a covenant is. We have covenants today. If you've bought a house, you are, have a covenant relationship with the bank. You have set up and have a bounding agreement saying you are willing to pay back money at this amount of time and do these things, and the bank gave you the money. That's a covenant relationship. It's a binding agreement. Maybe a car loan's the same way. You create a covenant relationship with your employer. If you have a job, you walk in and you say, I am going to be doing this for you, and in return, they bind you and say, I'm going to pay you. It's a binding agreement. Another great covenant we have is marriage. Marriage is considered a covenant. It's because it's two parties coming together, standing before people saying, I am going to commit myself to that other person. And in a Christian marriage, in the Christian sense, we take it literally and it's binding to become one. In a Christian marriage, when you come before God and before people, you're saying, I am no longer myself. I am binding myself to my partner and we've become one. It's a true covenant. There's always a purpose for a covenant. So why would God need to establish a covenant with mankind again, with the earth again? Did you ever ask that question? I did. This week, it was kind of, it just, as I was thinking through it, I was like, why would God need to create a new covenant? What would the purpose be for the covenant? And so I got to thinking and researching, and it was because we needed redemption. The purpose of this covenant was to state out loud that there was going to be redemption to mankind. Because this is, the creation started in an orderly fashion. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he created it in a process, right? He created light. He created the heavens and the earth. He created the water and separated it by land. He created vegetation. He created animals. He created humans. And then he created rest. There was an order to this process. It wasn't simply he said and it happened, right? He could have done that, 
but he created order. He created this creation of order. But after this, when he creates mankind, he tells Adam and Eve, you are to do it, you can enjoy this garden. Enjoy it to its fullest. Just don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The one tree you can't eat from, and what do they do? Eat from the one thing they can't eat from. And so it led them to be pushed away out of the garden, out of the very design of peace, to live on their own. And immediately that happened after that, when they're on their own, and even God told them to multiply, be fruitful and multiply. They had kids, and they started agreeing to what was established, the commands God gave them, but then their sons, Cain and Abel, there was violence. Cain got jealous and, and, was not, and learned that his, his offering wasn't accepted, so instead of taking ownership, he kills his brother for it. Violence continued and violence stirred up. As we read through the next in Genesis 5 and 6, what we see is that the evil of mankind, the wickedness of mankind, was so bad that it made God grieve in his heart. Now, I know some of us think we live in a very bad time and things are rough, but I don't think God's grieving in his heart like he did at the very beginning. But it says he was weeping. And the only way he knew was to reestablish and create redemption was to start new, create new life. So he caused the flood to destroy everything but Noah and his family and the animals. One Asian scholar wrote that the flood was God's tears pouring out on his creation. I don't know if I fully agree with that, but I like the illustration because that shows you how brokenhearted he was over the wickedness and chaos that was going about. He created man in his image. The breath that we breathe is his breath. And here they are, resorting to chaos and violence. They had no respect for living things. And so God decides to destroy it. Mankind had abandoned the blessings on creation and resorted to violence. That's why he says, I am going to put an end to all people. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. He knew he needed to start over. Now, I'm not God. I'm not perfect. And I'm, it's a good thing I'm not because I would have started over completely. If I'd have wiped out everything, we would have started over on Mars. Because when I have a project and things are not going the way I want it, what do you do? You toss it to the side, you scrap it, and you start over. You just start fresh. That's what I would have done. I'd have said, we can do better. I'll just have, create a new Adam and Eve, and we'll, we'll be fine. But no, but God sees Noah. God saw Noah, a righteous man among his generations. And he decided to build redemption through him and his family. The redemption of creation came through that one family, and that's what he needed, the purpose to create this covenant of redemption. And redemption was only going to happen through the unconditional love that God had for his creation. 
That's the only thing that would matter. Man was going to mess up. Man was going to be broken. One scholar wrote, not until mankind's sin problem is straightened out will the proper balance be in God's creation. He knew he had to wipe away and start fresh and reestablish this be fruitful and multiply. He needed to remind everyone that he's committed to them. Even when it seems like there's, he's not around, he's there to take care of them. That he sees creation as his precious thing. And he's willing to do anything and everything to keep it going. And he wants his people to accept the living kind and respect the living kind and create new, to be redeemed. And that's why he looks at Noah. He realized there needed to be a covenant, put it in terms, and so he establishes that and creates terms with this man named Noah. Now, Noah was, it says, a righteous man, a man that was able to do what God wanted to do. He was obedient he simply did what God asked him to do. One of the things I noticed with in as reading this scripture, Noah never talks back. God speaks to Noah and Noah obeys. Something I never thought about, something I never really looked at. Because if we look at the terms of the covenant, looking at verse 11, it says, I will establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. The terms of the covenant is simply this. God says he's not going to destroy us by a flood again. That's a unique covenant. Most of the covenants we walk through are covenants we've negotiated. Every covenant you have established is one that you are talking to make sure you get the best quality that you can. The parties have to agree on the best of terms for both situations. But God simply says, I know you're going to mess up. I know you're not going to uphold any kind of deal because you're wicked. And I know you're broken. And here's the thing. Here's the terms. All you have to do is live. All you have to do is live. And the covenant is still there. As long as you're alive, as long as you're breathing, as long as you have my breath in your lungs, the covenant of unconditional grace, love, and mercy is upon you. For I will never destroy every creation again. He's not going to destroy it through a flood. He's going to come back and he's going to take those and take his kingdom out as king and create a new heaven and a new earth. Because that's what he's establishing is his kingdom. So Noah was an obedient man. God tells him and says, We're going to, I'm going to flood the earth. I'm going to destroy everything, but Noah, I want you and your family to go build an ark. You're going to build it this tall and this wide and this deep, and you're going to build it out of gopher wood. Noah didn't reply back and say, God, are you sure that's big enough? And you're wanting two of every animal in the ark? Let's negotiate that. Can we rule out snakes? Snakes got us in trouble last time. I'm just saying we may could wipe them off the face of the earth. This is the opportunity. Let's get rid of snakes, which would have been my negotiation. Or mosquitoes. Do we need mosquitoes? Do we need gnats? Do we need these, these things? Like, can we not just forget about them? You know, close the door a little early, let them not come in. You know, the simple things. We don't need those stuff. But no, Noah just simply does what he says. 
Gopher wood, really, that's the wood you're going to choose, God? I think maple or oak would be a little bit better. No. Noah just builds an ark. Noah goes, rounds up his family. Noah rounds up the animals, puts them on the ark, and they get in their orderly fashion. And then God says, I'm going to create a flood. It's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. Noah, once again, didn't ask, so I'm only going to be on the, the ark for, not, for 40 days. Noah was on the ark with his family and animals for over 370 days. I don't know what defines chaos more than being on a boat with your family for over a year. And animals. Some of us would choose the animals over family because we would feel like that would be more orderly. But can you imagine that? God didn't negotiate that. He just did. He stayed and he was faithful. And as, it, as the waters stopped coming from the sky, he sent out birds. And an interesting thing, it says he always sent out a bird on the first day of the week. He never, even when the bird came back, if the bird came back on Friday, he didn't send it out again until that next Sunday because he rested on the seventh day. He understood the order that God had put. He just obeyed. He didn't question. He just obeyed. One scholar wrote that this covenant was the preservation of the natural order from the powers of chaos. Chaos was all around him, as you can imagine, as chaos is sometimes all around us. We feel like our life is out of control. Things keep coming upon us, and we feel like the floodgates literally are are draining us. We feel like there's no hope. We feel like there's no passion. There's no love. And here we are simply drowning. But God says, I am creating a covenant that you will never drown again because I love you. Nothing will separate you from my love. In fact, I know you're going to mess up, which is why I'm not putting any terms on you. Some scholars argue and say there are terms, and the terms are simply to be fruitful and multiply. As the commandment comes in Genesis 1.28, what he tells Adam and Eve, what he tells Noah multiple times, be fruitful and multiply. Go and cultivate a garden. Don't consume everything. The problem with chaos, chaos is all about consumption, right? When you see chaos over on these, when there's a sale or there's a big event, there's chaos because people are trying to get, get, get. They think it's mine, mine, mine. And they start feeling like they are obligated to get these things. And God says it's not about obligation. It's not about your selfishness. It's about you giving. Be fruitful and multiply. Stop consuming and cultivate. And that's all he says to Noah. Noah follows through and we see how much of an obedient man he is. Because the first thing Noah does when he exits the ark, when he gets out, he builds an altar and he has saved enough clean animals to worship. He sets a sacrifice upon that the moment he gets out and he sacrificed and worships to God. And it says that when the Lord smelled the pleasing or soothing aroma, he was glad in his heart. So we have pre-flood where God is weeping 
to a man worshiping after seeing destruction, worshiping after destruction, seeing the hope and the love that God can give him, the salvation that God can give him, and he worships and it's pleasing to God. For me, the conviction of this story is how many times have I worshiped and not been pleasing to God? How many times have I walked into this building or this place and I have to question, is my worship pleasing to God or is it still self-centered? Am I walking into a place for consumption or am I walking there to try to give sacrifice and to multiply? Noah was multiplying. Noah took the assignment and went and he knew he had to cultivate a new garden. But what did he step out of and see when he got out of the ark? Now, children in the room, I'm going to go dark a little bit, and I apologize, so the parents, you may have to have a discussion, but I want you to think. We get this idea that Noah, the story of Noah and the flood and Noah's ark is what we see in pictures. You know, this big boat with a giraffe's head over the, over the side looking out and a sunny sky and blue sky and we see all this living things and even when they're, it's planted in the ground, when they open up the thing, you see all the animals coming out of the ark and you look and you see green grass and you see a blue sky and you just see all this vegetation. I've never seen that after a rainstorm. After flooding, some of y'all have been to flooding sites. When it just rained for about six days straight, and as my cow friends tell me, the pastures were nothing but mud. So when Noah walked out of the ark, he saw destruction. He saw graves. He saw death. And God says, take what you see, take this death, take these graves and turn them into gardens. Take everything you're around you and let's redeem it and make it better. The old is gone, the new has come. Let's create new creation right now. And that's what Noah did. Noah takes graves and turns them into gardens. And it just foreshadows to what happened 2,000 years later when Jesus did the same thing when he took a grave and turned it into a garden. Where he took the symbol of a cross of violence and turned it into a symbol of hope. Because God knew that man could not save themselves. The wickedness that gets inside of you, the brokenness that you feel is going to be there. And you can search to feel that brokenness in many ways. But there's only one way that will fill that brokenness that will redeem you and create salvation. It's through Jesus. Jesus took the sin on the cross. Jesus took the penalty for our death so that we can have life. And he didn't stay on the cross. The symbol for us is not just the cross, but it's the grave as well because it's an empty tomb. Three days later, after Christ went and sacrificed himself, he walked out of that grave and he told everyone, he walked out in hope as a peaceful presence. He turned a grave into garden, and, and it's the same thing Noah does. That's the same thing we see here. God's saying, take the destruction, take the chaos around you, and make it new. But you can only do that through my works. You've got to recognize that you can't do it on your own. You've got to recognize that you're wicked and sinful and broken and accept the fact that God can mend that through the cross. 
Repent and believe that He can bring you through your brokenness. When we're going through these troubled times, it's God's power and love that will sustain us. God's responsibility was not to destroy. God's New Covenant says that God's responsibility was not to destroy the earth by flood again. While Noah's responsibility was to respect the sacredness of life as a recognition of God. In all of this, man was to realize that without God's providence and without the constant covenant care and production of God, human life could not continue for any time at all. We need God's love to sustain life. It's God's love that does sustain life. In God's terms, where His unconditional love for us, we just need to remember it. Because we're forgetful people, right? We are forgetful of all things. I have multiple reminders that's been popping up while I've been preaching. Things I've got to get done today. When you go to the grocery store, you have to create a list. Some of us have to get our spouse to remind us of things we need so that we don't forget them in the five minutes it takes us to get to the store, right? We are forgetful. So God sends us ways to remember the covenant. Look at verse 13. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Skip to verse 16. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. He put a rainbow in the sky for us to remember his unconditional love. The rainbow in the sky is fascinating because it represents the everlasting covenant of God's love and mercy that will always be there. We need reminders because we will always go back on our own terms of a covenant. We have reminders. Talk about covenants earlier. If you owe the bank money, they send you reminders usually in the form of a payment or papers that you have signed and saying that you are going to pay back, you are going to do. We are now signing new covenants with workplaces to say you will fulfill your duties or you will be relieved of them. One of the biggest symbols of a covenant is the wedding ring. When I perform ceremonies and I have done part, been part of weddings, when I talk to the couples, I tell them that the wedding band is a symbol of the covenant relationship they're making with each other and with God. They are binding together as one under God's leadership and guidance. That ring goes on your left hand on the middle, on the third finger, because it's the weakest finger of that hand. So it should serve as a symbol. When you look down and see that, you recognize that you have someone there to help you in your moments of weakness. You have someone there to help you in your times of need. You have someone connected to your heart. See, the wedding band is a great symbol of a, of a covenant because God talks about His church and being married to His church. God's wedding symbol, this everlasting covenant, the symbol is the, the rainbow, which is a perfect symbol. It's a perfect circle. It tells people that they will always be a glimpse of hope because God is not going to abandon you. 
Maya Angelou wrote it this way, says, God puts rainbow in the clouds so that each of us in the dreariest and most dreaded moments can see a possibility of hope. And that's what we need. When it's raining and it feels like it's dark in our hearts and in our lives, we need a glimpse of hope. We need some color in the middle of darkness, and that's why it's a rainbow. A rainbow is light in darkness. Color in the moment of dreariness. It helps us remember that covenant that God put upon us, that He will always love us. Nothing you will do to separate you from God's love. I don't know what you do. Some of you in the room are probably saying, I've done these terrible things. There's no way God will love me. He does. The next time you see a rainbow is your symbol that He loves you. And He's going to get you through this mess. He's going to get you through this storm. Because rainbows don't come on a clear day. Rainbows don't appear when it's nice and peaceful. Rainbows always appear after the storm comes. Or rainbows sometimes appear in the middle of the storm. And it, it looks at it says in verse 14, when I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant. Because clouds are going to come. And some of you may be in a storm right now. Some of you may not understand and cannot feel the presence of God, but I'm here to tell you it's there. God's light is there. The color of God's love is there. We have to seek for it and love and accept it when it comes. A challenge for us as believers, if we follow God, if you've committed to following God, you are supposed to let Jesus reflect through your life. So some of you may need to be a rainbow to those struggling. You are to illustrate God's love to those around you. Be a color in their darkness because they may not see it. But be like my kids when they see a rainbow, point it out. Share God's love. Share the love, the unconditional love through this covenant to those around you. Because it is the simple of hope. There's a song that, it's an old hymn that came up and it's in the nice red hymnal. Now, some of you that grew up in the Southern Baptist world and sung Southern gospel songs, to me, this is a very coveted hymnal to older people. I wasn't aware, but I found the song called God Put a Rainbow in the Cloud. And I'm not going to sing it for you, but I am going to read it. When God shut Noah in the grand old ark, he put a rainbow in the cloud. When the thunders rolled and the sky was dark, God put a rainbow in the cloud. God put a rainbow in the cloud, yes, in the cloud. God put a rainbow in the cloud, in the cloud. When it looked like the sun wouldn't shine anymore, God put a rainbow in the cloud. Away down yonder in Egyptian sand, God put a rainbow in the cloud. Just to lead his children to the promised land, God put a rainbow in the cloud. When they put old Daniel in the lion's den, God put a rainbow in the cloud. Just to prove his promise to the sons of men, God put a rainbow in the cloud. 
as a sign by day and a sign by night, God put a rainbow in the cloud just to guide his people and to keep them right. God put a rainbow in the cloud. Oh, Jordan deep and Jordan wide, God put a rainbow in the cloud to lead his people to the other side. God put a rainbow in the cloud. God put a rainbow in the cloud. Yes, in the cloud. God put a rainbow in the cloud, in the cloud. When it looked like the sun wouldn't shine anymore, God put a rainbow in the cloud. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know where you're desperate. I don't know what God's trying to teach you in this moment. I don't know the clouds that he puts, but I do know he puts a rainbow in that cloud. I do know He wants your love. He wants to be bound by you. He wants you to accept his grace. And I pray that you'll see that rainbow in the cloud today. I pray that if you don't see the rainbow, that somebody will come your way and show you the rainbow so that you can feel his unconditional, everlasting peace that he wants for your life. Stand with me as I pray. Father, we are thankful for all you've given us. We are thankful for your love, for your mercy, for this covenant that you have established in our lives as a way to give us hope when we don't feel like there's any hope around us. I pray that the hearts that you're dealing with this morning, the grief that people are feeling, I pray that you pour blessings on them right now. I pray that they scent and feel your presence, that they may not think there's any light into the world right now, but I pray right now that you give them a glimpse. You wrap your arms around them and allow them to see the love that you have for them. I pray that you will allow them to sense all that needs to be redeemed, all the things that need to be new. I pray that you will help us in our brokenness. In your son's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found. 